join with me in praying for them, continuing to pray for them. Uh, as, as our teenagers, some, some of our children have already gone back to school and some of our teenagers will begin going back to school here soon and they will need to continue uh, trusting in Christ, depending on Him, uh, that they would live differently than the world around them, that they would give evidence of their changed life in Christ. Well, for our message today, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, please turn there in your Bible. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. I'll be uh, preaching from mainly verses 4 through 7. Let's hear the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11. The scripture says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Every year, our nominating committee, and nominating committees in many churches in our state and in other Southern Baptist churches, probably have the difficult task of enlisting volunteers to make the ministries of the church go. Um, it can be a really hard task. So I do want to say thank you, to, thank you to those who are working on the nominating committee. And if you've said yes to them asking you to serve in some way, thank you. It can be a very hard task for a variety of reasons. People are too busy to serve. People have gotten fed up with the area they've been serving in and lost their patience with it. People are burnt out. Sometimes people are content not to serve or to just sit on the sidelines. But I know our committee is working hard, not just to fill slots or positions, but to find people who are gifted in certain areas to serve important ministries of our church. But I also know you have to be careful saying yes to the nominating committee, right? If, uh, if you're not careful, your obituary could end up reading, Billy was the chair of deacons, the chairman of the personnel committee, the Sunday school teacher, youth pastor, choir director for 30 years, right? Those who volunteer end up volunteering a lot, it seems like. 
They end up being involved in a lot of areas of ministry. But why do churches have such a hard time finding people who are willing to serve? Why is it true that uh, that saying, why does that saying seem so true that 20% of the people do 80% of the work? Some of it is probably sin, no doubt. Some of it may be structural problems. For instance, we in our church maybe have 80 to 100 active members And yet, when you look at the 30 or so committees that we have, if you do the math, it doesn't work out too good. You would have to have people serving in in multiple areas. But I think some of it may also come from a misunderstanding about what it means to be a member of a church, what it means to be a part of a local church. Maybe a misunderstanding of what the spiritual gifts are and what they're intended to be used for. And all of these answers, I think, are given in our text this morning, specifically verses 4 through 7. I think that the the truths of these verses can be described in one sentence, and here it is. The Spirit gives gifts to Christians who are empowered by God to serve one another for the honor of the Lord. The Spirit gives gifts to Christians who are empowered by God to serve one another for the honor of the Lord. The shape of our sermon this morning will be each phrase of this sentence. And I actually changed up the order from what you have there in your outline. So now you're really going to have to be paying attention so that you can get the right order. But notice first the the parallel structure of verses 4 through 6. Parallel means they run alongside each other. They're, uh, They're on the same plane. They're going in the same direction. Each of these sentences uses the contrasting words, varieties, and the same, or different and the same. Different gifts, same Spirit. Different services, same Lord. Different activities, same God. Do you see that there in those verses? What Paul is emphasizing here is unity in the midst of diversity. I don't know about you, but I'm glad there aren't a lot of gems walking around in our church, right? For some of us, the world can only handle one of us, much less one church. There are varieties of people with varieties of giftings, and they are all used for the one church, for the unity of the church, for the building up of the church. Different modes of service, different activities, and yet there is one Spirit, there is one Lord, there is one God. Like players on a basketball team, who all have different roles, maybe a forward and a center and a guard, They have different roles, but they're all working for the same common goal, to win. And God has gifted His church in the same way. That we, though many, though different, would all work together for the glory of God and the furtherance of the mission of Christ. So with that in mind, unity in the midst of diversity, let's look at our first phrase. The Spirit gives gifts to Christians. The Spirit is the one who gives the gifts to Christians. That comes from verse 4. There are a variety of gifts the same Spirit. In verse 7, to each, to each and every person is given the manifestation of the Spirit. So here's how it works. When a person becomes a Christian, when a person turns away from his sins, places his faith in Jesus Christ alone, when a person sees that, that Jesus is the greatest treasure that this world has, he becomes a Christian and the Spirit changes him. He gives him a a new heart that desires the things of God, that desires uh, the glory of God, not his own selfish desires. And he also, the Spirit, gives this person gifts. 
so that he can be an encouragement to others in the church. We call these spiritual gifts because they're given by the Spirit and also because they encourage others spiritually. They are their skills or talents or specialties in which the Spirit blesses people so that they in turn can be a blessing to others. Now, some of these gifts or talents may be gifts or talents that you had before you were a Christian. Some of them may just seem to come out of the blue, like where did that come from? But the Spirit gifts Christians. If you are a Christian, you have been gifted by the Spirit. You have been given something that that nobody else has in this church in the exact same way in, in order that you might be a blessing to others in this church. He gives a list here in chapter 12. Later in chapter 12, he gives another short list. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, he gives a list of these spiritual gifts. And then a couple other places, like at Ephesians and 1 Peter, he points out varieties of gifts. He n- never in one of these places does he give a comprehensive list. But the point is that there are a variety of gifts. Hospitality, generosity, encouragement, teaching, showing mercy, evangelism. There are a variety of gifts, but it's the same Spirit who has given these gifts to the people of God. The point here is unity. There's unity in the human body, although there are a variety of parts. There's a hand which looks and acts nothing like an eye, right? They have completely different roles, and yet they're working together for the good of the body. There's a foot which has a totally different function than a mouth, although sometimes they work good together, right? Foot in mouth if you keep talking too much. See, these body parts work together for the good of the whole body, for the common good. They all work to protect the body, to care for the body, uh, to carry out the purposes of the will and of the heart and of the mind. And that's how it should work in the church. Several times in chapter 12, Paul says that it's God who composes the body in the way that He sees fit. He arranges the body and the the different gifts in a way that that will work for His glory. So this is what we should know about ourselves. If you are a Christian in this church, the Spirit has given you a special gift that is unique to you. And it's given to you so that you can encourage the church in a way no one else can. If you have a gift but aren't using it, we're all suffering because of it. If one part of the body tries to go its own way, we all suffer because of it. We are not just individual Christians who happen to come together to the same place to worship God, to be fulfilled ourselves. We are the body of Christ here in the church. We should work for the common goal, the building up of the body and for the honor of the Lord. The second, uh, the second part of our sentence is that these various roles and activities are all empowered by the same God. The Spirit gives gifts to Christians who are empowered by God. Verse 6, there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. The gifts are ours, but we don't do the activities completely of ourselves. If we want to be truly effective in using our gift for the church. We must not just be powered by our own strength, but by the power of God. We must be empowered by Him. When it comes to these gifts, God is the fuel that makes the car go. 
We are simply His instruments. He is using us to strengthen His church. When I was in middle school, I played the trumpet, and I was good at it. I was like first or second chair most of the time. That means first or second best within the, the trumpet, sec- trumpet section. But how good do you think I'd have been if I'd have just held up the trumpet and tried to let it do its own thing, tried to let it work on its own? Would it, anything happen at all? Of course not. What it needed was uh, air going through it, air passing through the instrument, my fingers pushing the keys. It's just an instrument. Nothing would have happened if no air was moving through it. And in the same way, if we are not empowered by the blowing wind of God, using our spiritual gifts, our activities in the church, then all of it will be in vain. None of it will be worth anything, and it won't resound for the glory of God. Unfortunately, many of us may be instruments that are just laying in their cases, their closed cases, not being used, not being made available to God for His working. We're just sitting there, expecting God to do His work without us. But this is how God has chosen to work. He has allowed us to be a part of His work. He has chosen to work through us for the building up of His church. He's given you a gift and He wants you to use it. In this church, He wants you to use it for the encouragement of others, the strengthening of others here at First Baptist Church. The fact that, the, that God is the one who empowers them also has huge ramifications for, for how we see ourselves, whether or not we're prideful or humble. It gives us great humility to know that of ourselves we can do nothing. We have no power or strength in ourselves to, to build Christ's kingdom to encourage believers, to give God glory. It is only by His power, not by ours. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, we have this treasure, he's talking about the message of the Gospel, we have this treasure in jars of clay. He's talking about themselves being vessels, instruments for God's glory. Nothing more than jars of clay. In order to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are just jar pots and cups and pitchers. And God is the one who has the power. So how do you do this in your various activities in the church? How do you make yourself empowered by God and not by your own power? And the number one answer that I could think of was dependency upon God evidenced by prayer. Evidenced by continual prayer. Prayer shows our dependence upon God's power. So when I stand up to pray at the beginning of the service, I pray, God, please do something. God, as we sing, as we pray, as I preach, God, you must do something. You must give the power. So you pray, God, please help me to to use my gift in a way that builds up your church. God, please use the gifts you've given me to encourage your church, and promote its unity. Humble me that I would know the power comes not from me and my skills or my gifts, but from you alone. So before you lead the children in a lesson, before you lead music, before you encourage someone else, before you greet someone at the door, before you share the gospel, say, Lord, I know that this gift is not my own, but was given to me by your Spirit. And I know it's going to be in vain unless you are the one who empowers it. Empower 
this, that I might be a blessing to others. That others might be strengthened in their faith. The Spirit gives gifts to Christians who are empowered by God. And here's our third phrase. To serve one another. The Spirit gives gifts to Christians who are empowered by God in order to serve one another. We see this in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He's talking about for the whole church. Common meaning many, meaning the whole church. God gives these gifts as evidence of His Spirit working. He gives the gifts for the common good. All throughout the New Testament, you can easily see uh, what some refer to as the one another passages. You can read through the New Testament and find these very easily. Out, outdo one another in showing mercy. Love one another. Serve one another. Encourage one another. You see, these spiritual gifts are different than most of the gifts we receive. These spiritual gifts are not simply for our, our own use and pleasure. They are others-oriented. They're others-focused. They're for the encouragement and building up of others. When you get a, a birthday gift, uh, is that a gift for you or for someone else? It's for you. It's for your enjoyment, right? Uh, if you get a, a gift card, that's even better because then we don't have to depend on what they think we want. We can get what we actually want. It's for our pleasure. They like When you give a gift, you like to see someone enjoying the gift for their own pleasure. But I think that too many of us see the spiritual gifts like that. The Spirit has given us a gift and our focus is all, all on how it benefits us. All on how it gives us pleasure rather than how it can give others encouragement. We speak in terms uh, of the spiritual gifts in terms of being fulfilled or, being, uh, or enjoying using it rather than fulfilling others. And then when we get burnt out, we say, I'm just not being fulfilled serving in that area or this area. I'm just not happy doing that right now. And that may be something to think about. It may be that you're in an area of service that's not quite right for you. It's not a good fit for you. But it could just as easily be that you have the wrong mindset. It could be that you're thinking more about your own fulfillment in your spiritual gift than the benefit of others. The encouragement of others. That you have been self-centered in the use of your gifts rather than other, others-oriented. The spiritual gifts must always be outward-looking. Instead of being like, like an eagle stalking its prey, always finding what it can get to be fulfilled, we need to be like uh, a mother who is always looking for the good of her children, who is always looking how she can be a benefit to others. The Spirit gives us gifts not for our own enjoyment and pleasure, but for the good of others, for the common good. As he says here, he empowers the gifts so that they might be used for the building up of his church. And here's the final phrase, for the honor of the Lord. So our entire sentence, the Spirit gives gifts to Christians who are empowered by God to serve others for the honor of the Lord. That's in verse 5. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. The word Lord there refers to the fact that Jesus is our Master. We are His servants. The truth of this passage is that if we're simply serving for our own pleasure, 
for simply serving for someone else's good, we will quickly burn out, lose our joy, and lose our purpose. But if we remember who it is that we're actually serving, if we remember that our service is to Jesus Christ, our Lord, then we will be motivated afresh to serve with, with passion, with zeal, and it will all go to His glory and not our own. Imagine uh, serving someone who is not at all appreciative of your service. Probably all of us have been in that circumstance at one time or another. I think of a mother who slaves away at uh, work all day and then comes home uh, before the children get home for, from school, and she, she decides to do something nice and bake cookies. So she gets some sugar cookies, prepares them from scratch, she makes the icing herself, and then the kids come home. And she happily announces, Kids, I made cookies for you. And they come in and say, Oh man, do you have some chocolate chip cookies? Don't you have something other than that? And then she works the rest of the afternoon to get supper for ready, uh, ready for supper, only to have more complaints. More complaints about the food or, or what kind of food it is. She's unappreciated. Throughout all of her hard work, in too many instances like that, she'll say what? I'm fed up with it. You make your own dinner. You do it yourself. I've had it. Service in the church can be like this. How many of you know this? That it can feel like you are not appreciated. That you are struggling uh, maybe you're struggling working with children, and it's hard, right? If you've worked with children, you know it's hard. It can just suck you dry. You take time to prepare good lessons and fun activities, and they don't seem to listen. They, se- they don't seem to, to gather uh, what you're talking about. It seems to be like it's not worth it. You leave church disappointed and frustrated, thinking, am I making a difference in these kids' lives? Maybe I'll just call it quits. Maybe I I just won't do this next time. Or you slave away serving others in our community or in our church and you feel like nobody takes notice. All the feelings of not being appreciated and ungratefulness just well up and it's too much for you and you just, I've had it. I don't want to do it anymore. But friends, consider this. What if your working wasn't ultimately for the children? or for those in the community, or for whoever you minister to? What if it wasn't ultimately for them you were doing it, but Jesus Christ, your Lord? How would that change your service? How would that change your motivation? Think about this. Wouldn't it be worth it? Wouldn't it be worth it if after all of your preparation, all of your serving, showing hospitality, teaching, caring for others, wouldn't it be worth it If you got no praise on this earth, no thanks on this earth, no appreciation on this earth, but then you appeared before the throne of God in heaven and He said to you, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. Now I will put you over much. Enter into the joy of your Master. Tell me, would that be worth it? That would be worth it. I know that Uh, none of us are or ever will be completely faithful in our service. We will struggle. We will complain. We will be disappointed. Before we were Christians, we, uh, of course, sinned against God. And even now that we are Christians, we still struggle. We give 
God grudging and half-hearted service. And for all of our sins, we know what the Lord should say to us. He should say, get out. Every one of you wicked servants who have not obeyed my commands and not loved me as you should. We deserve eternal hell for our sins against our Master. But our Master is different than any earthly Master. God did something so that we who had stolen from Him could be reconciled back to Him. He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus His Son into the world who had great gifts from the Spirit. And He used those gifts not just for His own pleasure and enjoyment, but for the good of others. For the sake of others. When He spoke, it was for the benefit of others. When He performed miracles, it was for the good of others and for the glory of God. He didn't deserve to be rejected by the Master, and yet He was. God treated Him as if He had given our half-hearted, grudging service. As if Jesus was the one who turned His back on the Master. Jesus died on the cross as a rejected, wicked servant, taking our sin, taking our punishment upon Himself so that we could be welcomed into the presence of God. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it was God saying to Him, Well done, good and faithful servant. And now for everyone who turns away from their sins, for everyone who rejects their selfish way of living and trusts in Jesus Christ, His life, death, and resurrection, they will be saved. They will be forgiven. And on the last day, God will not say, Get away from me, you wicked servant. He will say, Well done good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. But it won't be because you had actually rendered good service. It won't be because you had rendered faithful service. It will be because Jesus is the good and faithful servant who died in your place. It will be because you trusted in the One who was good and faithful in your place. And Jesus' good and faithful service will be put into your account. It will count for you and you will enter into the joy of your Master. For, for those of us who have repented and believed on Jesus, He has saved us. He has brought us back to God. He has given us gifts to serve one another for His glory. So let us serve in this way. No matter what the service is, we have a variety of service. Let's serve in this way. The world will see our love for one another. They will see our sacrifice for one another. And they will know that Jesus, who sacrificed everything for His people, they will know that He is our Lord. Let's pray and ask God's help to do that.